space you. Uh, we're beginning a series on prayer this morning, and well, I thought there'd be no fitting, better, uh, more fitting way to begin a series on prayer than pray. So um, sometimes your physical posture, our physical posture really helps our prayer. Uh, so everyone kind of with me, uh, go ahead and kind of extend your hands out a little bit like this and uh, then you can go ahead and bow your head and close your eyes. And let's each of us silently on our own right now. I just come before our Father and pray, talk to Him. Uh, ask Him that He might humble us, humble you, that He might speak to you now through His Scripture. that he might meet you now. Uh, go ahead and talk to him silently for a minute or so. Father, you've invited us to worship you this morning, to see who you are and give you praise for who you are, and in knowing who you are, that we'd be transformed, that we'd be changed by the work you've done for us in Christ, that you have sent your son to die for us, to make us sons and daughters. We'd be transformed in the way that we think, that the way that we live uh, by the work of your spirit in our minds, and our hearts, and our lives. And so God, this morning, we just pray right now that you speak to us through your word. We're here now to say we're listening, and we place ourselves under what you have to say to us in your scriptures that we might be changed as we see you more clearly and worship you more fully. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, so our text begins in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, uh, with this little phrase, and when you pray, well, isn't that the problem? When you pray, uh, what's the first thing you think about when, you know, a, a prayer series is coming or you read a line like that, when you pray? Well, if you're like me, uh, the first thing you think is, ugh, I don't pray enough. I, I really should pray more, right? Like uh, 1 Thessalonians says, pray continually. Yeah, right. Uh, or you think, I don't even know how to pray. I, I, how, what, what words do I say? How do I pray? How do I talk to God? How do I listen? Do I, do I need to pray just what's in the scriptures? How, how, do I, how do I pray prayers that God will actually listen to? Because, man, I've been praying and he's not answering. Uh, maybe you've even lied about prayer. You've said to someone, hey, I'll pray for you. But then, like me, you never prayed for him. I mean, I did that this morning. <laughs> I said, I'll pray. I haven't prayed for him. I should stop right now and pray for him. Prayer, it, it often makes us feel really guilty, doesn't it? I don't pray enough. I don't know how to pray. And I'll pray for you, but I don't. I don't want you to feel guilty this morning about your prayer life. But I do want you to know, you might be missing out. You might really be missing out on what God has for you in relationship with Him, and how He wants to transform your life, and how he, he wants to draw you close to Himself, and, and also even work through you in the lives of others, or how He wants to answer prayers that you pray. You might be 
missing out in your prayer life. You know, when we look at Jesus' life, he, he prays all the time. I mean, when he shows up on the scene and he begins his ministry, the first thing he does at the beginning of his ministry is he withdraws to a desolate place to pray. He gets alone to pray. When he's like getting super popular and everyone's like, hey, we want to make you king, you're amazing, what he does is he withdraws in order to pray. When an important, a hard decision comes his way, well, the first thing he does is pray. He's going to select the 12 who are going to follow him. And he's like, well, he, again, withdraws to a desolate pace to pray. When things get really hard in his life, particularly the end of his life, right before he goes to the cross, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. He prays all night long talking to his Father in heaven. You know, it's because of this that that the 12 who are following him, they're with him all the time, so they're seeing him pray all the time. They come to him in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, and they say, teach us how to pray. we got to figure this out. We want to have that kind of relationship with God. Uh, Would you teach us how to pray? We see what you have. We want what you have. And it's in that context, and it's the same context in Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus is going to teach his disciples how to pray. Because Jesus wants you to have the same kind of intimate, conversational, life-transforming relationship with God that he has. And so he says the way there, the pathway there, is conversation and prayer. So this morning what we'll do is uh, we'll look at this passage in Matthew chapter 6, and first we're going to see what is prayer not, what, what is, how not to pray. Uh, and then we'll look at, well, how to pray. And then uh, Courtney and I are going to share a bit of our kind of life story, uh, so a bit intimately about uh, our prayer life and where God's been meeting us these past few years. Uh, and then we'll pray uh, together as we take communion. So first, uh, how not to pray. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, uh, Jesus says this, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they might be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward." The first not to pray is this. Don't pray like the Pharisees. Here's what they do. They go and stand. They stand on uh, street corners and on synagogues. And, And what they do is they pray before others in order that they might be seen by them and praised by them. They stand at street corners uh, to stand, in a sense, before all these sinners, that the sinners might look at them and feel guilty about their own prayer life, their own lack of relationship with God. And they might say about these Pharisees, wow, you guys are holy. They pray in synagogues before the holy, before the religious, uh, that the religious and the holy might even look at them and say, wow, you guys are even holier than me. And Jesus says they're praying there to be seen. But when you pray, go hide yourself in a closet. Why? To be seen by God. You can choose to be seen by men and get your reward there, or you can be, choose to be seen by God. So when you pray, first not to, do not pray for public performance, but pray for private relationship, real relationship with the living God. Uh, the second not to in verse 7 of Matthew chapter 6. Uh, Jesus continues to teach in the negative, and when you pray, do not 
heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So here's what the Gentiles are doing. They're, they're praying, and there's, they're praying with all these elegant phrases. They're heaping up all these amazing phrases and words, and, and they're piling up the number of words, many phrases in their prayers. Why thinking, if I pray with a certain mantra or pray, pray in a certain way, I'll get what I want from God. If I just string together the right words, if I say enough in Jesus' name, then I'll get what I want. If I have just enough faith in my words, I will get what I want when I ask God for it. If I pray eloquently, maybe you've heard someone pray this way, or you yourself have prayed thinking this, Oh, Father, 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 hallowed, almighty one, you are amazing, Father, Father, Father. Right? In order to say, if I pray eloquently enough before God, he will say, Oh, oh, oh I'll give that guy what he wants. Jesus says, don't pray like this, relying on your words to get something from me. Because, notice what the text says, God already knows what you want. Which makes us think, why even pray then? But that's what we're going to get into next in the how to pray. So in the middle of all this, you know, I think what I would lift in some is, is I would say, do not pray in order to get something other than God. And see, in the first setting, uh, the Pharisees are praying that they might get praise for men, something other than God. In the second setting, they were praying with a certain amount of words or mantras in a way to get something other than God. Do not pray in order to get something other than God. But instead, uh, and Jesus will teach a little bit in the, the where of prayer and, and how to go about praying, right in the middle of this negative passage, he'll say this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 6. But when you pray, instead of these two groups, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. See, what's happening in this prayer, uh, the, 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 the place of prayer, is in contrast to the two negatives of how not to pray. Uh, here you're going into a secret place. You're, you're locking yourself in a room, talking just to God himself. No one's around. No one's listening. So you can pause in your intentionality and sit just before God. If God is not there listening, well, you're crazy. I'm crazy. We come before him and talk honestly with him about who he is and who we are and the things in our mind and our heart and our lives, and no one's there but you and him. I see that where of prayer gives us this hint, which Jesus is going to now expound on as he talks about how to pray. The hint is this. Don't pray to get something other than God. Go into the room, lock the door, it's just you and God there. He is who you want and who you need and who you'll meet in prayer, the conversation between me and my Father. So if God knows already, if God sees already, what's all this prayer about and, and why pray? Uh, remember, it's to get something, not to get something, but to get God himself. It's, it's not about getting something. It's about knowing someone. And Jesus will now expound on this idea and when he teaches us how to pray. He says in verse 9, pray then like this. 
Pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And now in the Lord's Prayer, what we have is a template for how to pray. It's not a mantra that uh, we are to pray in one sense, but it's a template uh, for which to pray, how to converse with our Father in heaven. And the first thing that Jesus says in teaching us how to pray is this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Approach God. He is in heaven. And this is a moment where heaven touches earth, where the holy, the mighty, the sovereign, the king, the almighty one comes to meet with you and comes to meet with me. So we approach him, the hallowed one. Hallowed is this idea of of separate, other, sacred ground, sacred God. So first, this is a recognition of who our God is, right? Hallowed. You are the heavenly one, the one in heaven who is hallowed. It's a recognition of his holiness, his might, his power, his lordship, his kingship. But at the same time, this uh, phrase has imperatival force, which is to say a command or request, which is to say, God, would you hallow your name? Would you make it holy? Would you make it separate? Would you make it mighty? Would you make it who you are in my life, in my home, in my neighborhood, in my county, in my country? Would you hallow, make holy your name in me? Would I revere you for who you are? Would my home revere you for who you are? Would my county, my my country, would everyone revere you for who you are? You are the hallowed king. But you're not just the one in heaven who is hallowed. You are Father. You're not just the sovereign one, but you are good. You're a father who, who protects us, who beckons us in, who's good and kind and desires relationship with us. And now I know that father uh, word, that phrase of how we're to relate to God, who is our father in prayer, it, it can carry some different emotions or thoughts for you and me. Right? In one, in one sense, you might look at your father, your dad, and say, if my, fa- uh, my heavenly father is anything like my earthly father, I don't want anything to do with him. He was absent. He was uh, unengaged or he was mean or abusive. I-, I don't want anything to do with a heavenly father if he was anything like my father. Or you might be saying, man, I had an awesome father, a really good father who cared for me. Let me tell you this morning. When we come to our heavenly father, he's better than the best of fathers. <laughs> And he's nothing. He's so unlike the worst of fathers. He is our good, good father. He's sovereign and he's good. But I love this little phrase. He's our father, too. He's our father. Now, this is what it is to pray in Jesus' name. We, we come as sons and daughters before our Father. We couldn't have a relationship with God except by the work of Jesus Christ, His Son, who, who paid for our sin that we could come as holy ones before God. We could be embraced. We were once orphans, but now we've made sons or daughters because of who Jesus is and what he's done. Your family. I'm family. I can talk to the heavenly king who is my father. He's our father together. See, the first thing we realize as we approach our God is there is relational embrace in prayer. There is relational embrace in prayer. He wants to talk to us. He wants to be with us in the highs and the lows. When no one else understands you, he wants to talk with you and embrace you in prayer. He's your heavenly father who is both infinite and intimate. 
Relational embrace, a desire from the father to talk with his sons and daughters. Doesn't that just blow your mind? Uh, but you might be feeling well in that relational embrace. That's, that's tough. That's hard. It is, right? Every relationship is hard work, isn't it? And every relationship has ups and downs. I like to kind of categorize relationship with God, something like this uh, graph. Relationship with God, up and down over time, right? Uh, notice how, the, how this goes. Right? You know, maybe you come to meet Jesus in your life, and you're like, woohoo, I'm having a quiet time every day, and it's amazing. Woohoo, I love Jesus. I want to just sing worship songs all day long. And then something hard hits, or the relationship goes on. And you're like, oh, man, this isn't what I thought I was I thought he was going to make my life awesome. This is terrible. And then notice the graph kind of goes backwards in time. And it's like, oh, my gosh, it's just disorienting. Like, relationship is tough in this spiral. I don't know what time that was for you, but maybe you felt super guilty or depressed or dark, or you kept praying, and you never heard anything from him. You felt completely alone, and you just felt a spiral, a death spiral of sorts. You felt, God, I'm just going back in time. And, and then you kind of, it's, it's often out of the hardest of times that we see our relationship with God just take off as we cling to him, and he shows his faithfulness, his goodness. But then notice there's also times just straight up flatlining. It's just day in, day out, ordinary relationship, and there's no up and down. And you're like, I don't even know if this thing's still alive with me and Jesus. <laughs> Hey, can I just say that's relationship. That's relationship with Jesus. That's relationship with God. That's relationship with anyone you know, right? But there's a main difference. He's always there. He's always faithful. He's always clinging to you, walking with you by his grace. And he always wants to know where you are, to talk with you, to walk with you in every circumstance of your life. He's a good father who's a sovereign king. Uh, you know, you can say the prayer along with me. Uh, let's start, start off with me. Uh, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. My kingdom come, my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Wait a second. It doesn't say my kingdom come, my will be done. All right, but, but see, in conversational prayer, what occurs when we see who God our Father is, the, the infinite, intimate one, the, the mighty and the merciful, the holy one who's made himself humble and made us sons and daughters, what we can then do is submit our whole lives to him. And we can say, if you are this God, if this is who you are, I trust you, I love you, when I'm praying for this thing I so desperately want in my life, when I'm praying for this promotion or, or this child or, or this illness to be cured or any of these things, what I know and can trust is I want your will to be done in my life, in my family, in my neighborhood, in my county, in my country. Uh, conversation turns into transformation when we're talking with our Father, when we are embraced by him, we realize it's not just relational embrace, but there is relational submission to him. I trust you. And not only do I trust you to do as you please, but I want you to do what your will is in my life. I want you to bring your kingdom into who I am, to, to reshape the way I think, to reshape the way I live. I, I want you to bring your kingdom into my home, into my neighborhood, into my county, and my country. I want you to bring a bit of heaven to earth right now is what we ask of him. See, prayer is first and foremost relational embrace and relational submission. 
He does not need our information. Didn't we catch that in the beginning of this prayer? He needs that. He wants our conversation. He doesn't need us to come and just list the things in our life as information and stay at that first level of confirmation, just a, a conversation, facts only, right? He wants us to get into opinions of conversation of, God, I really hated it when you did this, or I really long for you to do that. And, and then he wants us to get into our, our feelings from, from facts to opinions to feelings to go deeper of what we're longing for, oh, what we're so scared of, our anxieties, our hopes. Why? Because in conversation, not information, uh, we, we are transformed into the men and women he wants, and he transforms us and transforms others through us. Conversation leads to transformation. Under and with, embraced by our God. I'm telling you, and pause, this is what prayer is about. Right here in these two first verses of the Lord's Prayer. What our God most desires is it would come to him and be embraced by our God and our Father. And then we would find ourselves in a place of submission to who he is, saying, your will be done in my life. Your will be done right here. Your will be done everywhere. What I want is you. Because when we were praying for provision, God, would you provide this or that? What we realize in conversation with our God is, you're my provider. And when we're praying for protection, uh, what we realize uh, in conversation with our God in prayer over and over again is, you are my fortress, you're my rock. And when we're praying uh, about how guilty we feel about uh, this or that sin, something we said or didn't do or did do or, or the things we thought or our motives, what we realize as we talk to him about those things is, oh, you're a good redeemer and father who forgives me and is faithful to me. I can't believe it. It's not the yes or the no that we long for. It's our God we long for, need, and want most. Relational embrace and relational submission via conversation will transform our lives. And here's where God says uh, to talk with him in the different areas uh, in this template of the Lord's Prayer. Here are some different areas where he says, I, I don't want just information, I want conversation. Then it might lead to transformation both in your life and through you in the lives of others that he might answer this way or that, but what we would realize is you, <laughs> you, God, are what I want. We wouldn't get something. We would know someone. Uh, the first area is our daily bread. He says, uh, Jesus says in verse 11, give us this day our daily bread, or our daily bread give us today. I love how uh, Eugene Peterson puts it in the message. Uh, Jesus, give us three square meals a day. <laughs> And see, bread, not steak. Daily, not yearly. And see what Jesus is doing in this prayer. He's saying, give me what I need for sustenance. Bread, not steak. And give it to me today, and today only I trust you for your provision, not yearly. I don't need a, a whole year's provision. What I need is, uh, what I need is you, Father. <laughs> To be the provider you are, to show yourself to be the one who is ample and sustaining. Uh, I love this uh, verse, a similar prayer in Proverbs chapter 30, verses 8 and 9. Proverbs 30, 8 and 9, he says, I, I pray and ask two things of you, God. The first is, remove from me falsehood and lying. He says, give me neither poverty, this is the second, give me neither poverty nor riches. 
Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I would be full and deny you, and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I would be poor and steal and profane the name of the Lord. And notice what the writer of Proverbs is saying. He's saying, Hey, give me just enough. Give me my daily bread that, that, that I wouldn't have so much. I wouldn't have a, a two or three cars or, or a, a home and all my own provision and all my own education. And then I might say, I can provide for myself. And, and give me uh, enough that I'm not poor because I don't want to steal and profane your name either. Uh, Lord, give me my daily bread that I might remember you are my provider day in and day out. If you remember back to me in Exodus chapter 16, uh, the Israelites, they're, they're wandering in the desert after being rescued out of Egypt. And this is where this prayer comes from, uh, this daily manna. The what's-it manna that comes from the sky that the Lord provides in the morning. Uh, The people in verse 4 of chapter 16 in Exodus, uh, you know, the Lord says to them uh, and Moses and the people, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven, or what's-it, for you and the people. Uh, They will go about and gather a day's portion every day of this manna that I might test them, whether they want to walk in my law and ways or not. So that's what the Lord does. He, he brings manna in the morning, this, this little bread on the fields. They collect enough, and, and then they're, they're kind of getting sick of the manna. So they say, Lord, would you provide some meat? And actually, the Lord relents, and he, he gives them this meat substance at night. So they're eating manna in the morning and meat at night. And, and, but here's what occurs. The people go out, and they start gathering more than a day's worth because they're thinking, what if he doesn't provide tomorrow? And they gather all this uh, manna and meat, and, and anything they've kept for more than one day immediately goes bad. It rots. The Lord rots it. Why? Because here's what he's saying. I am your provider. You pray for food, but what you need is a provider. Because if you've got plenty, that'll never be enough if we don't realize he's our provider. If you're in want, that'll never be enough unless we realize he's our provider. Uh, The next prayer is, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Debt or trespass is that idea when you wrong someone, a debt is created. You you have shamed them, so their their pride or their character is slandered. There's this gap in who they are before others. Or, Or you've stolen from them, so there's this gap or missing debt or trespass or wage that is owed. And we know uh, before God, we, we, we are debtors before Him because of uh, how we've lived. Each one of us is sinful people. The things we've said, the things we've done, the things we've not said or not done, the motives of our life, we know of this to be true in our lives. So we have a whole list of things over and over again to ask for forgiveness in. Uh, but notice what Jesus says here. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And He'll even kind of twist the point in a little bit in verses 14 and 15. He'll say, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But then he says, but if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Aye, and this is in the context of prayer. See, uh, if we don't forgive others, our our heavenly Father doesn't forgive us. And and here's why. I I think a few chapters later, uh, Jesus makes this super clear, this idea of, of God offers an amazing forgiveness towards us, which evidences itself in the way we forgive others. Let me say it again. If you've been forgiven by God, you will forgive others. 
And if you aren't forgiving others, it's, it's evidence that you haven't clung to, understood the forgiveness of your God. I, here's this parable that Jesus will tell in Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, verse 23, Jesus says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. A king, think God himself, servants us. So he's settling accounts, debts with his servants. And when he begins to settle his accounts, uh, one was brought before him, one of us, uh, who owed him 10,000 talents. Uh, get the size of this debt. Uh, a talent is about 20 years wage, 20 years worth of wage paid. 10,000 times 20 years. That's a massive debt this servant owes to God himself. That's a massive debt we owe because of our sinfulness before our God. Uh, and now the parable will go on and uh, God will forgive uh, us, the servant, of this massive debt. And then what will happen after the guy begs for mercy because he's like he owes his whole life to this king, right? And then what will happen? The servant will go and he won't forgive this debt to another servant who comes to ask him to forgive a debt. But that debt that was owed is like minute, like a year's worth of wage compared to 20 years times 10,000. <laughs> Do you notice uh, this minor wrong uh, and this massive wrong, the massive wrong forgiven by our God? How could we not turn and forgive others who have wronged us? Jesus actually says we must. It is evidence of the great grace our God has poured on us. Now, here's what I think the problem is in our prayer why we often don't forgive others. It's because we don't take the time to sit before our God in silence and talk specifically through our day about where we've stumbled and fallen. And not just giving him information about those things, but going deeper to our motives, our feelings, our thoughts, really the depths of our sinfulness and our rebellion. In a way, we would see our, our massive debt before our God, which he's so graciously forgiven to make us sons and daughters, that we would then turn easily and forgive others of the wrongs that have been done in our lives. Conversation, not information, leads to transformation when we sit and talk with our God, asking Him for forgiveness, asking Him for provision, realizing He's our provider and He is our redeemer too. The last one here is verse 13, and lead us not temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is a funny one because we all know it's not God who leads us into temptation. Uh, James chapter 1, verse 13 to 15 says it really clearly. God talking to us, God says, don't you say I tempted you. God doesn't tempt anyone, says James chapter 1, verse 13 to 15. So the prayer is really an interesting one because what we're saying here is, God, protect us from ourselves. <laughs> we want to wander from you. We want to wander from relationship with you. We know we put ourselves in situations that's going to lead to temptation. Then we're going to fall in sin. That's going to send guilt and desperation in our lives. And it will destroy. we will destroy ourselves. We'll destroy our families. We'll destroy everyone if you let us. God, please keep us from ourselves. Protect me from myself. Certainly then also protect me from, from Satan, protect me from uh, my neighbor, protect me from this illness, protect me from the broken world. We can extend out his protection into all things. Why? Because when we talk to him about these things deeply and repetitiously, here's what we realize. You are my fortress. <laughs> you're my rock. You're my protector. See, what we most need and what we most want it's not even an answer to our prayer. It is God himself. It is God himself.
I want to open up our lives a little bit here, and uh, Court's going to come up and share. We can clap Courtney out. She's going to... Uh, because uh, over the past years of our life, uh, Jesus has been drawing us close in different areas of our life in prayer, but particularly this one uh, with our family. So uh, here's our family, and Court's going to tell you a little bit about uh, one of our special daughters. Good morning, church. I'm going to try to hold it together this service a little better than last service. We'll see how it goes. Um, Matt asked if I would come and share a little bit of our journey, especially our prayer life specifically. Um, so what I'm going to share, I do. I hope to share vulnerably and transparently. But I also just want to invite and ask you guys to treat this like a safe space, that you guys are family. And um, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about our first daughter. She's 15 years old. She's in that picture. Her name is Eden. Um, and so before I begin, I really just want to thank you guys for loving her and accepting her. Um, she is here today, um, probably playing with your kids, and I'm sure she's talked to all of you, so I do. I just am very thankful that God has provided um, this church home for her. Um, Eden came into our lives 15 years ago, and she looked like every other normal baby, um, but it was pretty early on that we realized that there was something different about her. Uh, she didn't make any milestones that our other kids made. She didn't crawl when she should have walked, when she should have rolled over. All those things just came a lot later. Um, we have spent lots of years in PT and OT with her. Um, at age three, she was still nonverbal, didn't have any words at all. Um, so we were advised to seek out some speech therapy. And so um, lots, lots of years in speech therapy. She really is a walking miracle today. I'm very thankful for all the people that God has brought into our lives that have helped us along the way. We would not be here without them. Um, and so our journey really has been trying to figure out how to raise a hallelujah in the middle of the mystery, right? Like we sang today of, God, what are you doing? A lot of my prayer time has been, God, why? Um, why is she like this? Why does she struggle so much in school? Um, why does she struggle to make friendships and keep friendships? Um, it's not just academically, but behaviorally. Um, it's hard in our home a lot of times. Um, the struggles that she deals with impact our home and sibling relationships and all of that, as you can imagine, trying to figure out what ADHD looks like and how you navigate raising a kid with that and all her other learning disabilities. Um, so um, it became apparent that school was tough. And so we tried homeschooling, and that was way over my head, more than I knew how to handle. Um, I have a memory trying to, um, I came back from an early morning workout and I remember standing in front of my door and thinking, I can't go in. I can't go in today. It's just too much. I can't deal with the behaviors I'm going to face and the struggles that I'm going to face today. Um, and that feeling is one that I feel a lot, that inadequacy. I'm sure all of us moms kind of feel that. Um, coupled with the guilt and the shame of just feeling like, what if I would have read more books or done more puzzles or how I could have helped her, you know, just feeling like, what should I have done or could I have done? There's a lot of that in my prayer walk as well. Um, and then it kind of came that there, there are other schools out there that help kids with special needs. So there was this opportunity that we could fight to get her into a school that could really help her, kids with learning disabilities and all sorts of um, behavioral issues. And so we started fighting for that, hoping we could get her into this school placement that, that could really meet her needs. And so we walked that road. It was about a two-year journey um, trying to get her in there. And we met with the Board of Ed and her IEP team and all of the things. And we 
had that final meeting where we thought, this is it. God's, we're going to get into this school, and this is going to be it. And then... Yeah, so, so we had kind of... It was a bit over a two-year process of working with her team in school and in the Board of Ed to kind of both fight and work together uh, towards getting her into a special education school. And uh, then we, we met with the Board of Ed. It kind of was supposed to be the final meeting of, yes, you know, we've been praying, God, yes, please give us this for her care and provision. Uh, she was getting bullied at that point, too, in a pretty substantial way. And and she's, you know, like today still she functions at kind of a second grade, uh, though she's in, uh, she's a freshman in high school, um, so functions at like a second grade level. So we were like, God, give us this yes. And so it looked like it was going to be yes at the Board of Ed. We were meeting with the head of special education, and, um, and it was no. Uh, they told us no, which is uh, the opposite of what we've been praying for and what everyone had said within the teams that we are involved with um, in the, in the board and everything. So I'll never forget, we were uh, out in the parking lot right after that meeting, um, just crying, uh, uh, just crying and praying, uh, God, what are you doing? You know, what the heck are you doing? This is not what we've asked for. This is not what we want. Um, and so I, I had a, the, the, the final meeting was then scheduled for two weeks later where, where they would review it one last time at the Board of Ed. And um, and so I had a, a trip planned to go hiking uh, on the Tetons, and Court said, why don't you still go? You, you need that, and there's nothing we can do in between. And um, so I, I went out hiking, and I, I just remember walking along the path, and just so no one around <laughs> out there, and just praying, just talking to God. And then I turned the corner, and the, the Tetons just explode before me, massive mountains, I mean, just huge. And I remember thinking, God, if you say no, it's not because you're unable to say yes. And it was a moment of just submission, of just what you do and desire, I want to walk with you in it. You're good, you're sovereign, you're king, and you're my father. And I'll never forget that moment. Yeah, my moment of submission was a little different. So he's out hiking, and I was stuck at home. <laughs> and I'll never forget, also, I was sitting at my kitchen counter writing in my journal and I am just frustrated and angry. And um, there were these two ladies at that meeting, the, the ones that said no. And I just remember praying, being like, God, how could those women have said that? I don't understand. Don't they know what she needs, what's best for her? How could they have said no? And it was like in that moment when I said that, I was like, how could those ladies keep her from going to Ivy Mount? It was like God said, Courtney, those ladies will not keep her from Ivy Mount. If I don't want her there, I'm not going to let her go there. It was like God is in control, and he's the one that's going to say yes or no. And these women have, are not in, con in control. And it was like in that moment, I needed to either submit and trust that God is good and God knows what's best or not. And it was. It was that moment of submission. It reminded me in John 6 when all the disciples are walking away and leaving, and Jesus looks at Peter and says, aren't you going to go too? And he says, I have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Mm -hmm. And it is true. I can look back over my life. God has never let us down, that I can trust him no matter what. So whether he says yes or he says no, I need to be able to trust him in that. And so it was. It was that moment mm -hmm. of submission for me as well. So. And it was kind of amazing. So over two weeks um, living in that no, um, we did continue to pray. And, and God then miraculously, truthfully, <laughs> miraculously two weeks later said yes. I mean, open it up. The whole thing turned the complete opposite way. It was really a shocking moment. Um, 
And he gave us a yes. Uh, and then the beginning of the school year, a month later, uh, the short bus showed up to pick Eden up for school and take her to school. And here's what we've realized. Um, well, I wrote, I wrote a couple things down. We need, I need God, not yes. Because whether it's continued bullying or this or that relationship or this uh, intellectual deficit or this relational deficit in our home, he has, I need God in that. I don't need a yes or a no to this or that request. I need God. Uh, then also, we needed God differently at different moments, different ways. So he was there to talk with in every aspect. And then the third thing, we still need God today. <laughs> Uh, to sit with him, to talk with him, to know he's good, to embrace him, but also to submit to him. So that's what we're going to do now. Uh, in communion, uh, you were given a sheet of kneeling prayer. And I want us to kneel before God. If you're able, would you kneel before God now? And I'll guide us in prayer. Because we don't need a yes, we need our God. Now go ahead and close your eyes and kneel before God who is your king. Would you spend some minutes just silently praising him for who he is? Declare his goodness, his sovereignty. His holiness, His might, His power. Talk to Him about who He is and praise Him. Now as we continue to kneel, kneel before Him as Redeemer. Confess the sins of your life, the shortcomings, the lack of trust, the guilt, the anger, the frustration. Just talk to him honestly. Be embraced by him as your redeemer, your loving father who's paid for you with the price of his son. He knows you fully and he embraces you. Be embraced by your redeemer now as you talk to him honestly. Come before him as father. He's your father. He loves you. He enjoys you. With open arms, he welcomes you in. Thank him for who he is and what he's done. And ask him. Ask him for the things of your heart, your mind, the things you long for. Talk to him openly and freely. He's your father who loves you. When you're ready, take and eat and drink and remember 
that is because the work of his son that you and I, we have access to the living God to talk with him anytime, any minute, all the time, to, to, to spend secluded, uh, intentional time with him, praying, to reach out at any moment to talk with him in our day. Take and eat and remember. Cost him his son to give you this relationship. Commit to him that you want to enjoy this relationship and talk with him. Maybe even doing kneeling prayer every day this week. Just, just commit to him to sit with him, to talk with him, to converse and be transformed by him. Take and eat together.